Well, we are in today, as we continue looking through the 66 books of the Bible, we're in the second shortest book in the Bible, and uh, of the 66, this would be number 64. But uh, it's, it's only second shortest because it's one verse less than 2 John that we looked at last week. And uh, the, the uniqueness about 3 John is that it is, uh, in the front end, it's overloaded with joy. And uh, there's a reason for that. Um, it's written to a guy named Gaius. And when you take the meaning in the Roman word of Gaius, it means to rejoice. So even in the main character, uh, there is this sense of joy. It was also popular back there because it was Caesar's first name. Julius Caesar was Gaius Julius Caesar. And so very popular name. Now this letter is, a, uh, it shows a contrast between two individuals in the church, Gaius and the church leader. One is walking according to the truth. The other is not walking according to the truth. And John writes this kind of to both of them. Now, as you grew up, how many of you remember highlights for children? Highlights for children? And wasn't it terrible when you got to the, the, the page with the hidden pictures that somebody had circled all the answers? I hated that. Now, there were six kids in our family, and uh, we were much too poor to afford highlights for children. By the way, whose home office is right here and on Fifth Avenue and Riverside Drive. But uh, so we all to see highlights for children at the doctor's office and the dentist's office. They had stacks of these, and yes, all the picture find this item was always circled or underlined or starred, and it was, uh, but we fought over the issues. There were jokes to read, and then there was always the cartoon called Goofus and Gallant, okay? So one of them always did the wrong thing, and one of them always did the right thing. Now, it's a little hard to read, but Goofus, on this side, bosses his friends. Ooh. Gallant asks, what do you want to do next? Goofus takes the last apple. Gallant shares his orange. All right? Now, they just sold, uh, like last year, the one billionth copy. And the unique thing about Goofus and Gallon is that they grew up with you. They didn't only stay. You weren't only a Goofus or a Gallant when you were little. You grew up to be a Goofus and Gallant. So there were also an, another... Um, Goofus says, you should see how far it jumps when I poke it as he's holding the frog. Gallant says, Mr. Turtle, you may be killed if I don't move you out of the road, okay? So Goofus interrupts his mother when she's talking with a friend. Gallant waits until his mother is done talking. And again, the reminder is you don't need to be a child 
to be a goofus. And you don't need to be a child to be a gallant. And in this time, I feel like I need to pray for all the goofuses and gallants in this room as we come to God's word. So join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is a right way to live. A way that honors you. And there's another way to live that doesn't honor you. I would ask that your Holy Spirit would do what your Holy Spirit does best. One, by taking the words that are written in your book and uh, convict us of those places that we have missed it and encourage us in those places that we have seen it and we get it. And we have come to, uh, to hear your word and to leave here more like Jesus. If there would be anything that would hinder us doing that, I pray that you would remove it. For we prayed exactly for that, to be leave here more like Jesus. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks left, and we will have gone through the entire Bible. We started January 5th, 2020, and we are going to complete the 66 books, 39 of the old, I think we have those up there, and then the 27 of the new, we're going to complete on July 4th at that one worship service with the book of Revelation. Now, of the last four books of the New Testament, three of them are written by the apostle John. John is the last surviving apostle that lived with Jesus Christ. He was very much honored, and uh, there was lots of reverence for him, as we've talked about, but he was old, and he wrote for two reasons. One is an encouragement to the church that Jesus was coming back, as he said he would, and an encouragement to live their lives according to what they were taught. There was a word of warning in all the books. Do not lose the truth. Do not lose having handles or an understanding of the truth. Now, to echo what I shared in John's letter last week, the truth is that in the beginning, God, nothing else. So in the beginning, God, and it says God created, and it's a fancy word in the Hebrew called bara. It means out of nothing. So out of nothing, God creates. That makes him sovereign. That makes him in charge. That means his word is final. It's his word. And to understand that, he sends Jesus Christ who is made of the same stuff. If you were a theologian, the word would be homo usius, homo same usius stuff. And in and, and Jesus, who lives out the character of his father, being the same stuff, said, I am the way and I am the truth because I reflect the father and I am the life. No one comes to the father except by me. And then Jesus said in his ministry, it's better when I go away because I'm sending you the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth who will 
teach you all truth. And his last public prayer with his disciples, he says, Father, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So my friends, truth, a definition is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and being of God. Now, there are people who would say, I don't believe that is the truth. Okay? There are people that come to say to me and say, I don't believe in gravity. And I would love to escort them up to the top of this building and push them off so that they can discover the truth that gravity exists, even if they don't acknowledge it. Truth exists whether you choose to believe it as truth or not because everything is involved with the one who put everything here. Truth. John's joy in his letters, he says, I rejoice because people are walking in the truth. Now, last week, 2 John, verse 4, there's no chapter 1 because it's all chapter 1 because there's only 13 verses, says, I rejoice greatly. See that joy? He's writing to find some of your children. Now, he's writing to a woman or he's writing to a church in the female language, and the children of the congregation, or a woman and her children, we're not sure. But I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as they were commanded by the Father. Now notice he doesn't say, I rejoice that your children are standing in the truth. Because standing in the truth does you no good. It's when you actively move in the truth. You take the truth forward. It is Interesting that 3 John uh, verse 4 says this in his second letter. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. These are folks who met the Lord through John's ministry as he pastored the church at Ephesus. And so there's some joy that comes from within when we see our children walking in the truth. Now, every parent here knows what it's like when they see their children walking in the way that they have taught their children to walk, whether it's being manners, where they're being gallant and not goofus. And you rejoice that they get it. Ryan and Carrie this week, are leading a team of people, leading our church, that the children of this church would know Jesus in such a way that they would walk in the truth of who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, when that happens, if that happens this Friday, you will, you will not be, I mean, they'll just be sky high as they watch kids live out their faith Walking in the truth. Jordan and Daniel taking our middle and high school folks away. When they see middle school and high school folks walk in the truth, it 
it moves their hearts. You'll hear story after story about where, where teenagers are walking their faith. Mike and I, when we hear story after story of people at Bethel who are stepping out, walking their faith, I mean, the, the buttons pop off our robes or the zippers or whatever we're wearing that. I mean, it is, we are like, oh my gosh. So you're saying, well, what does it mean to walk in the truth? And here's my biggest surprise in studying these 64 books so far of the Bible. John attaches walking in the truth with love. Now, I, I, never, I never put those two together. Walking in the truth of what we know is walking in love. How does that happen? Well, it happens because if you understand what it means to know the truth, then it's not about you and it's not about me. Now, what I what I've discovered that surprised me if I stand on the fact that God is sovereign. There was nothing and God spoke, so he's in charge, he's, he's God. And that Jesus came to show us his character, to live it out, to give his life, to show us truth, to open the way to the Father, that the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we might learn about the Father, the Son, and be able to walk in that truth, and that we have his word that speaks truth, when I live that out, if I am rejected, they are not rejecting me, they are rejecting God and his word. And I think I have missed that. I think the church universal misses that. Because what are we known for in many places? Being critical. Telling people they don't measure up. Pointing out their faults. Telling them this or that. And if we are attacked for that, we take it personally. And, and John is saying... No, you don't have to defend gravity. If somebody doesn't want to believe in gravity, push them off a building. Help them walk off a building, not to push them. So that means we can love people whether they accept what we believe or not. And I don't think the church has ever come to grips with that. We can love people even when they go the wrong way because it's not about us. We get to share the good news. We get to love them in spite of because we do know the good news. I think that's what John is telling us. 
Because I think for a long time, most of us in the church have tried to love people who think differently and do differently, and we have to really work at it. We don't have to work at it anymore. We just get to love them because we know the truth, and we just get to share it. And in walking in the truth is about loving others. Because John tells us what Gaius is doing to love and walk, to walk in truth the way he loves. He calls him the beloved. John 3, 5 to 8. Next slide. Beloved. What? It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. Somehow John had gotten word that Gaius is loving strangers, but not only loving them, he's supporting them. He's encouraging them. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may... <coughs> that we may be fellow workers for the truth. He, in, in fact, he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So here's, here's what Gaius is doing. He's at a church and some strangers have come in and he's put them up. He's provided for their food. He has treated them in a manner worthy of God, and he didn't know them. Because he knew the truth, he could love exponentially. And so John is saying, wow, you are walking in the truth because you're using your resources and your heart and, and really what happens when you know the truth and you understand God's love through Jesus, the truth moves from your head to your heart to your hands. And that's what it means to walk in the truth. I love a couple of things about this church. I love the fact that we have a heart for missionaries. And what you may or may not know that Bethel Presbyterian Church came here in the 60s, but before that, we were New Avenue Presbyterian Church. And this small Presbyterian church, one of the smallest churches in the denomination, gave the most money to missions in the entire, of the entire denomination. And they brought that here with them. There's a mission committee, and about one out of every $6 given to this church goes through that mission committee out to people across the street and across the world. Because we want to treat people who we don't even know, who are sharing the gospel, we want to tr treat them in a manner worthy of God. And we do that because of your generosity and the generosity of this church. Today I'm going to do something that in my 17 years, I've done just once or twice. I'm going to talk about money. Um, 
We are in a, uh, in a campaign starting today. You, you received um, a letter in the mail. If you are a covenant partner or if you are a friend of Bethel, you received a letter that explains in the next two weeks, we have a campaign to pay off the debt of this building. Now, it is an uh, incredible thing. Um, on August the 19th in 2012, we broke ground right out where that room is to add on the new addition to enlarge this church. And uh, it was a, a, a $1.7 million project. And it was about a year and a half in building and, and we took possession of it and we knew that we'd have to have two campaigns to pay it off. Two campaigns. Because back when we got the building, we were paying $9,800 a month in interest and mortgage payments. <clears throat> Over $110,000 a year. And we knew we couldn't keep that up. So in 2018, we had a campaign. And we raised $581,000. And we took our mortgage payment that was from $9,800 a, a month down to $4,300 a month. But that still put a debt service on this building at $50,000 a year. We can do a lot of ministry with $50,000. So we are looking to get rid of this debt. Because we don't want it to be on the shoulders of this church and the next generation. Currently, we owe $492,000. That is a lot. And it costs us $52,000 a year. And it could in the future, weigh down this congregation and cause ministries not to happen. This place, though, is built for ministry. And we really built this place not only for the people here, but for the people yet to come. Since 2012, we have added some 80 covenant partners. 80 who weren't here before. One, one person on a a ministry team the other day said, you know, we saw the construction, we stopped and we never left. We, we, we got excited about what was going on here. But we built it. Now, don't get me wrong, we built it for us too because we needed more bathroom space. <laughs> so that was a, a priority. <clears throat> but we built it for the next generation. We built it for those who weren't here yet. We built it so we would treat everyone in a manner worthy of God. We built it so when we walked in the truth, people would discover what it means to be loved and want more of it and find out about more of it. We expanded our tent space stakes as we talked about. And, and do you remember a couple things about that day? One, 
my grandson Andrew, or my grandson uh, Brady, my oldest grandson, was baptized on that day in this place as a future reminder that we're about the next generation. Um, Dave and Jean Ives, Jean just went to be with the Lord. They provided the flowers for that day. They were um, original folks that came here and they, they wanted to, ex to, to just affirm the growth of this place. And we went outside and we stood back to back in a giant circle and we said the Nicene Creed. Now, why would we do that? Because it's one thing to come into this room and to share the Nicene Creed with each other. Oh, here's what we, here's what we believe. We believe this and we believe that. But it was symbolic that this place isn't for what we believe only in here. This place is so that the word of what we believe in here goes out. And so when we said the Nicene Creed, we turn our backs to each other and we spoke it to this community as a symbolism that we're for them. And so we built. And now it's time to take the debt off of the next generation. Do you know how this, we, we thought about having a campaign and then COVID happened. And then somebody came to me a couple of months ago, a covenant partner, just out of the blue and said, you know, Jerry, I would like to see us get rid of the debt. And this person said, I would like to give a challenge, a matching challenge of $100,000. And I'm thinking, wow. Now, if you remember, in 2018, somebody else said, Let's, I'll start it off by giving $100,000. And that was in this person's mind. But was in this person's mind is the love for this church and the love for the gospel to, to go out and not be hindered by a debt. So I share with the session that we have this. And, and so we started making plans for this campaign that starts today and goes to July 4th. And, and, and one of the covenant partner families came to me and said, Jerry, we'd like to add $50,000 to that challenge and make it a $150,000 challenge. And we'll match up to 150,000, I mean, 50 and, and the other 100. But, you know, neither of these folks went to matching school. Neither one of them went to matching school because they've already given the money. They, they didn't know that when you make a challenge to match it and that you only give what you, what, what you match, well, they failed at it. Because they're walking in love. And even if this church doesn't meet that challenge is an act of using their resources. And nobody here has got deep, deep pockets. Those are acts of incredible love. So the phone rings last night, and it's uh, 10 o'clock, and somebody says, I heard about the campaign, got the letter. I will match their $150,000. So, to date, before this campaign ever started, we already have two-thirds 
of the amount necessary to pay off the debt. Two other covenant partners totally have given 10000 so we're at $310,000. And it just goes to the four ninety-two. My friends, their love for the Lord, their love for Bethel and the ministries that happen here, their love for you, their love for those yet to be here is all wrapped up into that. Now this week, everyone who's a covenant partner or a friend of Bethel got a pledge card and an envelope. And I hope you prayerfully consider sending that out. We're still a third away. And some of you are going to say, look, I, I am cash poor right now. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to take pledges for about two years. But we're going to get enough by July 4th. In fact, I think we're going to go over, because I know children's ministry has some thoughts. But I think we'll go over the 492. And that's my prayer. And that's what I would want you to pray about and to consider how you might be a part of taking this debt off the next generation. We built the building as a gift to the next generation. We don't want to put the burden on them to pay for it. And so I will meet in room five and six after this service. Anybody who has questions or might want to talk more. But on July 4th, we're going to celebrate one service, 11 o'clock, and then we're going to have a light meal. And we're going to celebrate that this debt is eliminated. And it will be a great day. We will be independent of the debt and free to do ministry that God has called us to be. The sermon title on August 19, 2012 was The Place Where We Meet. This day, it's no longer just a place where we meet. It's a place we find joy because it's the place we walk in the truth. For the kingdom of God. A colonial Puritan, Thomas Adams, said this when they were looking at how to use resources. Let us do good with our goods while we live, to part with what we cannot keep, that we may get what we cannot lose. So I invite you. I invite you first to walk in the truth wherever you go. I invite you to love in ways that you've never loved people before because it's not about you. It's about the king of kings. And I want to thank you for your generosity in supporting missions and in your generosity of taking the debt off and opening up ministry for years to come. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have taken a lot of us who are goofuses us to your son and yourself and empowered us by the Holy Spirit. May we be gallant in the way that we live for you, walking in the truth. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you that uh, walking in the truth is not just giving money to the church, 
supporting missionaries. It's loving the next person that we come across and being free to love them because we, we know the truth and we want them to know it as well. And if there's anybody here, Lord, that does not know you, may they open their heart to know you and to walk with you and to walk for the first time in your truth, to know your peace, to know your love that overflows. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to remind you that we have Father's Day picture. So it doesn't have to be a father that you grab in front of the camera. Just grab somebody and say, take your picture with me. You can pick them up next week. And as you leave this place, may you be a great lover of people, not coming from your own effort, but coming from the fact that you walk in the truth. And you know it's not about you, it's about the Lord, and you can live pointing folks in his direction. And he's as sure as gravity. We'll embrace them and love them. Go in peace, walking in the truth, knowing his love, and spreading it wherever you go. Amen.